Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern day Asian American woman. My name is Mel. I'm Helen. And I'm Janet. This month, we're working with Old Navy on a campaign to celebrate our AAPI heritage and reclaim what it means to be American in 2022. We're so pleased to be partnering with them on this very important conversation. So thank you, Old Navy, for sponsoring this episode. As we evolve as humans, it is only natural that our identities evolve with us from growing into new roles like becoming a working mom to deepening existing ones like becoming a confident entrepreneur. Our identities are ever changing. Today, we're going to talk about the cultural component of our identities, our relationship with our Asian and Asian Americanness. We recorded an episode a few years ago talking about this exact topic, episode 64, if you haven't checked it out already. However, with the spread of hate crimes against Asians throughout the pandemic and after co-hosting a podcast for Asian American women for five years now, it's no surprise that our relationships with our identities as Asian Americans have evolved. Today, we want to explore what it means to us in this moment in time to be Asian American and Asian American. So to start this conversation off, I thought we would start with the topic, you know, the American dream. You know, a lot of families new to the U.S. with the pursuit of the quote-unquote American dream. So for your family, what was that like? So I kind of mentioned this on the last episode, I believe it was, when I asked my mom what the American dream was for them. And for them, it was purely a better future for their children. I think when you know that there is a potential better future out there for your kids than what you could provide in a place that you call home, I think a lot of parents would choose to make that move for their kids, even if it means putting themselves in uncomfortable situations like being in a completely foreign country. So my mom also mentioned the the ability to have freedom of choice for one's own future. I remember when I asked my parents if they ever had a dream job as a kid, what they wanted to be when they grew up, and both of them took a moment to think about it, and their answer was just, no, they it wasn't even possible for them to dream as a kid because getting a good or high level job was dictated by who their family knew and what the government allowed. So the American dream to them was a good education and being able to dictate our personal life paths without having too much government oversight. Mm. Hearing you, Helen, talk about the absence of choice in our family, um, I definitely feel like that played a role uh, in my family as well for their immigration story. Um, probably our our uh, parents were in a bit of a slight uh, shift in generation because I know for my grandparents, a lot of the focus was on great, greater political stability. Um, you know, because of the cultural revolution in China, uh, both sides of my family had immigrated to Taiwan. And both of my grandfathers also fought in the war. And my maternal grandfather actually, I think, worked for certain political officials. So I think he was just particularly attuned to the political instability of the environment. And because of that, in his generation, he moved his family to Taiwan. But then once my my mom and all of her siblings um, grew up, uh, he then wanted to move his family to the United States because he was very afraid of the possibility of China invading Taiwan. So um, I think for, for them, it was... A about political stability, but then a lot of it was also about having greater opportunity. 
on my dad's side, um, when my grandparents immigrated from China to Taiwan, they were lucky enough to get good jobs. My grandfather was a banker. My grandma was a teacher. But they had a lot of family friends that they knew and came over with them from China to Taiwan. And just because of a diff- being in a different environment or because of the politics or socially or whatever, they um, ended up in different jobs or without jobs in Taiwan. So my dad said he grew up very much in their family feeling like they were lucky but constantly being reminded by their parents and by their like their friends families that a lot of it is luck of the draw um, and I think Helen to your mm-hmm. point about not having control of your destination or knowing that there are other places in the world where you could potentially have greater um, success in achieving financial freedom and and success so I think for my family it was a combination of greater p- political stability and also greater pursuing greater opportunity mm-hmm. How about you, Mel? No, thank you, Jay, for kind of like, you know, giving us a little story about, you know, how you're like the background of your um, your grandparents. Uh, my answer is actually really short and sweet. It's a combination of both Helen and Janet's. Uh, my grandparents made that decision for my mom and her brother to move to the U.S. because, you know, they just want a better life for my family and really to have a better education for my mom and her brothers. So that decision was ultimately made for my mom. So all three of our families came to America kind of pursuing this idea of the American dream. Um, so once they get here and then they have us as their children, they start building their families. Do you ladies have memories of celebrating certain quote-unquote American things in hopes of your families being able to live out this American dream? For me, a lot of the memories my mom made growing up in Hawaii was passed down to my brother and I. Like, For example, 4th of July was huge for our family. Like, my mom would make her own marinade. We would always barbecue chicken and, like, we – and kalbi or the ribs. And we always buy fireworks. That's something I always look forward to doing. Um, And I think 4th of July was a big deal for our street because, like, it was, like, a neighborhood kind of celebration. Like, I remember our neighbors across the street, the Garcias, would have this, like, grand finale where they would bring out this ladder and they would line up the little fireworks on the ladder and then light them. And all of us would watch with the sparklers and dance around with it. And so that was something we always did every 4th of July. But that's something I always remember growing up as a child. And... You know, for some reason, when I think of like, quote unquote, American things, I automatically think of like high school social events, like graduation was a huge deal for my mom, like our whole family would fly in, we would attend and she would always have a party. And maybe this is more like a Hawaiian thing versus American. But my brother and I, we'd always get a lot of lays because I remember I saw photos of my mom graduating high school, she'd be like, her lays would be up to her like her eyebrow, like it's just part of the culture there. And, you know, even homecoming was a big deal for, like, my family when, to be honest, when I won that one year. That was the only time I was royalty. My whole family came and my mom told me, she's like, I know how important this is because I went to high school and I know what homecoming looks like. So little things like that. It's kind of the social things mm. that I remember. There's other, there's three other things that kind of pop into my brain. Um, I don't know if you guys had this growing up too, but I think whether it was in choir or like in, was it in high school? But during the holiday season, we had fundraising. And then we had we get these like booklets where you like could like order like a number represents like a you could order like peanut brittle or like a wrapping paper and then you would pass it around your neighbors or your your mom would like you know give it to their coworkers and I think my mom knew that I don't know maybe it's a sense of pride to like have a lot of orders she would always pass it around her coworkers at work and I would come back with like all these orders and be so proud. I'll be beaming with pride when I like would turn in my order form to my teacher. So I think of that little memory. Um, and then going to buffets, like grew up going to hometown buffet. Is it buffet or buffet? It's B-O-O-Fay. Buffet or no? It's buffet. 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 I grew up calling, I called it buffet growing up because of Phoebe for friends. But we would go to hometown buffet on the weekends. And that was like a treat for us because like, I think just that, entity like hometown buffet was very american like there was carrot cake there was like there was the the meat station so i always think of that something we would do to like feel very american and the last thing i think about is like my mom would always have fast food nights for our family mainly i think mainly because she was lazy to cook or too tired but also she didn't have fast food growing up a lot so she wanted my brother and i to have it so we would have like jack-in-the-box taco bell mcdonald's so that's something those are some of the things i think of when i think of like american things 
Um, how about you, Helen? Yes, I love hearing all of the little ways that you celebrated. It, it sounds like just like pieces of your childhood, but for some reason, it does sound very American. Like each of the little things that you talked about, even like the fundraising of, of the peanut brittle and the McDonald's and um, and just like the holiday celebrations. It's They're all very American mm-hmm. to me also. Um, I mean, when I think about this question, I think for all of us, it it really is the holidays. I think that's the first thing that most people say. Um, All of my friends who were second generation children of immigrants, like holidays was a thing that we celebrated, even though it was a mix of American traditional foods at the table, like turkey for Thanksgiving mixed with Chinese foods Mm -hmm. like steamed whole fish and, and the sound of mahjong playing in the background even though it's, you know, celebrating these very traditional American holidays. It's very Asian-influenced as well. Mm-hmm. So when my parents first moved to the States, they learned about holidays mm-hmm. from my dad's side of the family because their family had already been here for a little while longer. So for Christmas, I remember we lived in our three-story apartment building with my cousins living on the other two floors, and my dad would dress up as Santa Claus, <gasps> which is probably a costume from, like, the dollar store or something because it, it was a pretty janky one and he would just ho 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 his way like throughout their apartment building bringing toys to our cousins and we would get together and have a big family dinner in one of our apartments again with mahjong in the back and like the scent of like herbal soup throughout the house um and then at home we would have this fake christmas tree that we would use every year for i think at least like 20 years i remember it being very very big when i was a kid and then when i was in college and i returned home for christmas one year i was like this tree is very small like (laughs) i just grew up with that tree right Mm. um and over the years i think you know we would have more and more presents under the tree i still remember there was one year i got a small wooden horse i might have mentioned this on the podcast before but a small wooden horse which I loved and that was the only present that I had gotten one year when I was super young and recently when I asked my mom about it she said it was a toy that her coworker had given her and she just re-gifted it to me because she was like oh I heard you're supposed to give presents to your kids so it wasn't until we were older and older that I think the concept of toy giving became more of a thing too and we started getting more presents but I still remember that one year that I just got this tiny little wooden horse and to this day I still look for wooden horses whenever I travel to to just gather those but yeah holidays were a huge symbol of of what it means to be american for me oh i love that story with the the little wooden horse and the significance that it brings to you um and helen i also had the experience of having the same christmas tree and being having memories from when you're little like dang this thing is huge and then when you're older i was like oh my god it's like i'm almost as tall as this tree (laughs) yeah right Yeah. yeah Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, when my sister and I were born and we were a small family, like that was, I think holidays were mostly when how my parents tried to incorporate the American culture. But I heard a lot of stories about the two of them and the ways that they looked at American culture, American pop culture before I was born. So my parents, when they were in Taiwan, I think they did um, the Taiwanese um, schooling system. I believe they learned a little bit of English and they were very aware of American pop culture. And then, so when they mm-hmm. came here, I know that they listened to the Bee Gees and loved dancing to the Bee Gees. My dad still, I, I still have uh, memories of going to his holiday parties and him trying to do the twist, which tried to block out. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I definitely see photos of them. And my dad like had a perm and he wore kind of the bell bottoms and my mom had that like 70s Farrah Fawcett big hair. Um, and when I was uh, younger, my dad used to um, smoke. And so a very quintessential American brand of cigarettes is Marlboro's. So he constantly had a pack of Marlboro's and um, and he would drink Bud Light beer. You know, so those are I think a lot of American culture is like very much consumer driven. And um, mm-hmm. and our first house Um, I don't have memories of this, but I have photos. The bathroom, the previous owners, um, I think the house dated back to like the 70s, had like Bud Light beer um, logo patterned wallpaper in the bathroom. And my parents kept it. And so he just, you know, so it was just, I think that there was definitely this aspect of American culture uh, from the 70s and 80s that they really embraced and kind of looked at as young adults when they came to America. Um, And then as they, you know, built their family, my sister and I were born, um, 
outside of the holidays, uh, I think, Mel, like you talk about food, and that's one of the uh, bigger ways that it's incorporated into my childhood. Even though my mm-hmm. mom, I remember when I interviewed her for one of her other episodes, she's like, yeah, it was more for convenience, though. It wasn't like I was trying to make you American, but just that's living in America. It was like too easy and quick to access um you know, like frozen pizzas and the cereals and the yogurts and, and yeah, going to mm. like uh, the buffets, we had a sizzler down the street. So, you know, mm. you have like your chicken nuggets and then, uh, and the spaghetti, uh, and then they had their like steaks and stuff. Um, and then, you know, s- celebrating a lot of birthdays at like Chuck E. Cheese, uh, going to Lampost Pizza, that kind of stuff. Those are moments for me in my family of how we interacted with American culture growing up. Mm. I like how you said it's it's mm-hmm. it's like a lot of it is out of convenience too with for mm-hmm. the food. Mm-hmm. It, it makes sense because a lot of like McDonald's and fast food restaurants are are close by versus like going to a Chinatown to get very yeah. specific foods. And I'm sure back then the Chinatowns and Asian stores weren't as prevalent as they are and widespread as they are mm. today, right? With H Marts yeah. everywhere and you just go to K Town, Chinatown, little Tokyo. There's so many different ways to access Asian foods now, but back then it was a lot more difficult. It was very different, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, what are some symbols that you feel represent America? Mm. One of the first symbols I thought of is actually the dollar sign. Oh. Yeah. I just, I feel like um, the American culture is so driven by consumerism and capitalism Um, even the idea of pursuing the American dream for a lot of people is centered around economic success. Mm. So um, for better or for worse, I do feel like the pursuit of, you know, economic growth or success or or, or the dollar sign is something that tends to unify a lot of of America. Uh, Another symbol that I thought about was like, the globe or the map i remember in um the last election our friend group got together and we were watching you know the different like debates and the voting going on there was a conversation around the fact that the way that we were uh, taught about the the map system or geography in school growing up in america it's actually disproportionate it's not it's not a one-for-one size so the maps that we have in our books and on our globes it, it um, expands the way that North America looks and all the other continents are, sh- are like not in proportion. And I think that that's like a very significant representation of how our country views ourselves compared to other people. Mm. Um, of course, you know, I think every cult- every country you go to is going to have a bias towards itself. But there's definitely this interesting dynamic of America claiming to be a melting pot, um, but really elevating itself. So I know those are kind of like two symbols that, that stood out to me for our culture. What about um, what about you, Mel? I forgot about the globe. That's such a good one, Jay. And I, I, I this reminds me of I remember when all three of us were together with our friends watching the election. We we're waiting for the results to come in. We watched a video about how the globe is incorrect or something. So it reminded me of that time we we're all together. Um, so for me, when I think about symbols that represent America, the first thing obviously is the American flag. You know, I always remember coloring that in as a child. Um, I think a lot about fast food, like hot dogs and burgers are like very American to me. And I think of Chili's, like just like the store Chili, because that was like my like American like Friday night joint or TGI Fridays. Mm. Um, I think of the yellow cab because I think of New York mm. for some for some yellow reason. Yellow taxi and, cab, yeah. Yep. Um, I think of a cowboy hat. I don't know why. Mm. Western a culture. Cowboy hat. Yeah. Yes. All right. Um, <laughs> I think of a grizzly bear. Oh, the California, like, um, is it our animal or state animal? Or I is it just on our flag? So. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I think of the grizzly bear. Yeah. Because I think, yeah. And, and I don't know why I think of like California Adventures. Like there's like the grizzly run, the like the, the ride. And I'm like, oh, the bear is very, maybe the bear is very California and not very American. No, it's freaking American. Like I, I, I think when I go to other countries, wait, that's not true because We Bear Bears has a grizzly bear. But anyway, like, there's no grizzly bear. <laughs> But it is big in California, like the UC system too. All of the, a lot of their mascots are bears, yeah. You see bears everywhere. (laughs) And the last thing, as you were talking about like the bathroom wallpaper, I thought about like our recent conversation that the three of us had over dinner about like toilet seat covers. And I think about, maybe this is very American, but I think of the pink fuzzy toilet seat covers that sometimes like the old school American homes would have and like the pink carpet or like the um, the rug underneath the toilet seat because i don't mm. think when you go to other countries they don't have those type of covers that's like that 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 pink color you know what i mean hmm wow yeah. 
My American is like, oh, toilet seat covers. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's no right or wrong answer here. This is what are some symbols that you feel represent America. America. So if it's toilet seat covers and beers for you, that's that's what it is. (laughs) That's true. Or I was going to say, or Mr. Braun or Mr. Clean. Those things are very American. Um, But those are some of my symbols. How about you, Helen? Wow, you guys went in depth with this. I feel like mine were just the first two that you mentioned, Mel. So I went real basic. I'm like, okay, what symbol represents America for me? The flag. Like the most basic answer. But it's the first thing I thought about because I remember in third grade, we had to pledge allegiance to the flag, Mm. which was in the corner of each of our classrooms. And I remember that was the first time ever of me understanding what it meant Mm. to be united like me and all the other kids we look different Mm -hmm. i grew up in the city of boston public school very diverse school system and a lot of kids parents were immigrants themselves so i learned then what it was to be different but the same Mm -hmm. because when we were chanting the pledge of allegiance it really felt like you know we are all american chanting (laughs) (laughs) you said yes it felt like we were chanting um but yes the flag for sure and then the second one i try to think about when i'm away from home what is the one thing that makes me feel like i'm back at home in america and Mm. i remember when i was living abroad in india and in spain all of the stores are very local even the the fast food chains are are local and the one thing that i could always count on to feel like i was at home is mel what you mentioned is mcdonald's in india although Mm. i want to say subway made me feel like I was most at home because at McDonald's there, there was no beef on the menu, so no cheeseburger or hamburger. And Subway's menu was more consistent with our American menus. But whenever I'm traveling elsewhere, McDonald's to me is very American. Um, Even when I was growing up, just parents, like you mentioned, Jay, bringing fast food home, McDonald's, it was such a treat. And it felt very Mm non-Chinese because we only Mm -hmm. ate Chinese food growing up. Recently, I asked my mom, like, did we ever cook? Did you ever cook spaghetti? Did we ever have a pasta night? And she's like, yes, we did. I'm like, no, we did not. We never had it. She's like, okay, maybe like once during Thanksgiving. So yes, it was it was definitely a symbol of America when fast food was, was brought home. Mm. I was going to ask, Helen, can you actually repeat the Pledge of Allegiance? Do you remember it? You're going to put me on the spot Pledge here. Allegiance. Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, underground, indivisible, food, with liberty and justice for all. One nation, under God, indivisible, I had to, did you guys not, well, I had to do it from kindergarten all the way through to sixth grade. Sixth, I don't remember actually. I remember as a child, I mean, elementary school for sure, but then I forgot the rest. Yeah, I forgot it too now. Wow, I'm very impressed with your memories, ladies, because I was like, do I remember it myself? Um, but I, I guess I kind of do. Okay, so moving on to the next question, you know, what does your America look like, feel like, sound like, and dream like? This is more of a like a visualization, I guess, question. I feel like I am currently living the American dream. Now that my parents are living with me, which they currently are to help take care of my baby, I hear over and over again how it was just so rare to have fresh fish or meat in my parents' bowls when they were growing up in China that nice clothes and toys were so hard to come by. Um, And it's remembering that, you know, growing up, we lived in an apartment that shared a wall with other apartments. And on either side of us, we had BU, Boston University students living there. And my parents had to deal with the sound of drunk college kids in the middle of the night when they had to still get up at 4 a.m. to go to work to be able to provide for us. Right. And for us to just no longer be in that living situation. Um, it's knowing that only one generation later, and this is something I've been thinking about more and more now that I have my own kid, um, that I was the second of our family to go to college, my sister being the first, to be able to get an education, to get a job that eventually paid more than my parents ever got from their jobs, um, and to be able to buy my own house with my own money that I made with, you know, no help from anyone but my, but my own savings. I think that to me, thinking about how only one generation removed, my mom's story is now very different from mine. The ability to like make something for yourself and the fact that now, that now with ABG, the sky is the limit for whatever we want, want to do or pursue. I think that is the American dream. And I don't take that for granted at all. And I think very often about how far I've come, how far we've come, and how grateful I am for my parents who have made the sacrifices that they they did so that I could be where I am today. 
yeah, that's what the American dream, I think, to me is. Wow, that was such a beautiful walk down the journey of your family. And you're very right. Like, in what other circumstance or country could you, within like one, one, one and a half generations, have such a different lifestyle, right? Um, right. Oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> um, I... When I think of this question, what does your America look like, feel like, sound like, dream look like? I just, I just thought about kind of recent social and political events. And I immediately imagined um, uh, a group of very diverse faces, very different genders, different sizes, colors, a plethora of different types of people, even speaking a mix of different languages. Like I, I audibly will hear like Chinglish or, you know, the other equivalents of other other languages that are mixed with English. Um, and to me, the America that I dream of smells and tastes like different foods from different cultures, a true melting pot of differences aiming to achieve similar goals of economic stability and having to find commonality through a combination of curiosity and compassion. Curiosity to know about others because we are a melting pot of differences, um, know about others and their experiences uh, and their points of view, but then also compassion to want to help and connect with them. Um, and then I kind of evolved my idea of it and I thought, you know, all of these differences pursuing economic stability, I think was really maybe more of our parents' generation or previous generations. I think that as a nation, we've reached kind of a climactic point where we're seeing that these systems that have built and been developed to kind of focus on that one thing about, you know, achieving economic success is no longer really working. Um, and I think we're rethinking, like, what are what are the things that we really value, what's really important? Um, and it's kind of like that Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like, once you are able to, like, sustain yourself, like, physically and then, you know, um, maybe, like, economically, I think the next step is really about achieving a sense of, like, it sounds a little woo-woo, but I think it is like being able to um, to to focus more on peace, um, on feeling a true a true connectedness with people, and I think having a good heart, all of those things. Yeah, I I kind of just wrote down a paragraph of things that I that came to me visually when I thought about America, uh, but I guess it's this combination of having a lot of differences coming together for one unified reason, and for that reason to have maybe been more economy-based in past generations, and perhaps in this generation, more human-based, more community-based. How about you, Mel? Dang, Jay, that was a very detailed, great visualization. That was beautiful. What your American, I know, your dream looks like. Um, mine's kind of different. <laughs> um, I will say that the first thing I thought of was like a vision. And I kind of broke it down from look, feel, sound, and dream. Just like the question. Um, for the look, I said, for some reason, I just picture a very traditional home with green grass outside and a welcome sign at the door. I, I think of a home and a family. I see a neighborhood where everyone is friendly with each other. The city is diverse and accepting of everything. And when I think about this, I think a lot about my relationship my family has with our own neighbors. And I really I want that as well. You know, the street I grew up on is pretty diverse. We are really close friends with the Garcias across the street. Uh, and we're Dolores next door. And she's like older now, retired. And I remember going to Samantha, which is the Garcia's daughter's wedding, and our neighbors, we had a table. And it showed the sense of community that we had on our street. And my my mom would always joke around saying like, oh yeah, Mike, the Garcia, he's, he's like my brother. We'd go over on the weekends. We were really integrated with each other's lives. But that's a sense of community that we built on this street. And I was like, I want that as well. And there's no sense of... No one judge each other on our culture, our background, our age. There wasn't that at all. So visually, that's what I see is this neighborhood where it feels like that and a house where it feels like just like, I guess, very like picket feds type of house that you kind of see in like the movies. What it feels like for me, it feels safe and it feels like a breath of fresh air. And like maybe I'm also influenced by the newsletter Hemi just wrote where we talk about stillness. But in every moment that I see this, I want to be able to take a step and take a deep breath and feel like I'm calm in the stillness of this moment. And the sounds I hear when I'm walking through this visualization is like, I hear like the birds tweeting, you hear the plants being watered, you hear little kids babbling, you know, in the, in the front lawn. And you it just sounds like a Saturday morning, you know. 
And I guess what my dream looks like for this is that I, when I, when I walk through this visual visualization, I just feel like everyone has a sense of peace and where they are. And that's what I feel like I would want America to look like because the past few years have been so much tension, so much turmoil. It's just like, I think everyone wants and deserves peace at this point. And so that's the America that I, that I, that I'm dreaming of. Mm, I love that. That was beautiful. I love the visualization that you walked us through. Thank you. So here is a potentially controversial topic. I think given what you both mentioned as the vision of America, this this peaceful, community-driven space and of what the American dream is for you, how American do you both feel? Yeah, this is, this is actually a really great question to ask right now. Um, and I would invite our listeners to also try to think about answering this question themselves right now. Um, when I think about this question, I think that despite all of the challenges that we have faced in recent years and the rather negative international reputation um, that we might have, I do think the essence of America, which is it about being a land of opportunity, of dreams, um, of a melting pot of different people, is a very incredible ethos. And I still think essentially we are a land of immigrants, despite what uh, maybe who the dominant person in power is or what we generally see in main media. I think most of most of the people here in America, not too many generations ago, came here from some other nation. And um, even though we're going through a challenging period of our nation right now, I think that any incredible idea like America, which is it, about being a land of opportunity, contains ups and it contains downs. And I think right now we're riding through kind of a down moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there is also a lot of opportunity to rebuild and to shift and to improve. And like I kind of said in the last question, I think the next wave will be a reaction to a lot of the consumerism and capitalism and the imbalance of power uh, for a few uh, to kind of focus more on a more compassionate, more soft and more supportive nation. Uh, but still the essence of being a land of opportunity, allowing anyone who comes in to work hard and to achieve um, the the idea of being a place full of different types of people all coexisting to achieve similar goals, that does resonate with me. And I think that core essence of America, when I think about it that way, I do feel American. Mm, that's a very good answer. Very good and hopeful answer, Jay. Hopeful, yeah. Optimist here. So. Yeah, very good. Um, to be honest, I don't know if I feel super American. Um, there's no denying the fact that I am born and raised in America, but I feel very Asian American. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I sometimes I forget about what America represents, to be honest. It wasn't until you were saying like the land of opportunity, you know, I was like, oh, these are the statements and mottos we used to hear growing up, you know, in our history class, like the land of opportunity, the land of the free. And I thought about this. I was like, you know what? You're right. I do think the America is the land of opportunity. Like, I think I wouldn't be able to pursue my passion and ABG if that statement and that foundation wasn't instilled in my head of this is what America is. But I think sometimes I think that the land of the free, and I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think I'll be real and say maybe the reason why I also don't feel very American is two things. One, I did. I will admit that I have a blended, I had a blended childhood growing up of both cultures. Like I was very, I had the Asian influence, you know, my family members and my, my mom, but at the same time, my mom was also very Westernized growing up here. So I had the American influences and also growing up here. So I think that's why I feel very Asian American. I think maybe for me, sometimes when I think of being American, I, I kind of tie that in with the negative parts of America, like being racist, you know, being judgmental and like just maybe the past few years have instilled this little bit of fear in me and where I don't feel sometimes America is the land of the free. Mm -hmm. So that's something I feel like I'm still coming to terms with. Um, And the times I actually feel very American is when I'm in Asia because when I'm there, I realize I was like, oh, crap, I can't communicate with you in, in, in you know, their native tongue. I just know English, which is, you know, the language I grew up speaking. And to them, I'm very American. You know, even though I'm in Taiwan, I'm like Taiwanese. They're like, you're Taiwanese American. There's no denying the fact that you are not born and raised here. There's a clear difference. So the moments I actually feel very American is, 
you know, in Taiwan or maybe, you know, on the 4th of July, sometimes I'm like sipping beer. That's when I feel American. But um, I will say the past few years have done a little bit of damage in terms of how I view what American looks, what being American looks like. Um, I'm curious Mm. to hear Helen's response to this question. I relate so much to when I'm traveling abroad. That is when I also feel the most American because I feel like when you're in America, it's either you're just assumed to be American or you're assumed not to be American. So there's always that like 50-50 of what people will Mm -hmm. make assumptions for about you. But then when you're abroad, the moment you open your mouth, it's like, oh, you are 100% American and that is who you are. And Mm -hmm. and when also when I feel like I'm traveling, I, I do feel like I also have to represent Present for well as an American, like holding myself, holding my composure and being polite and saying like, oh, America is not just about who, whatever president is in in place right now. Like mm-hmm. Americans are good people, too. You know, it's not all of what you hear on the news. But sometimes I do wonder if our America that we know today has always been this divided in the past, because there's always been two political parties, mm-hmm. right? Democrats, Republicans. But for me, I feel like that divide has gotten worse and worse over the years, leading to a lot more people feeling less and less American. I think politics and the way America is portrayed to the rest of the world very much reflects how we feel as Americans. And I do think that a part of this divide is because we're getting older Mm. and caring more about politics and we're becoming more aware of the divide compared to when we were kids and apathetic about politics. But I feel like for me, I remembered when I traveled to Spain in 2018 and I was kind of embarrassed to say that I was American Mm. because certain people in power were the laughingstock of the freaking world. Like you mentioned, Jay, like our international reputation does have a big impact Mm. on how we feel Mm. as American. So now I feel like the divide in our country is just kind of painful to watch. And I guess the way I think about this question is that I am American. I am an American. If you were to ask me what I am, I'm a very proud Chinese American. This is my home. It's what I know. It's what my parents sacrificed for me. And I'm proud of what I am and what we've been able to overcome and build in this country. But if I'm being honest... It's like I'm kind of losing sight as to what it is to be an American Mm. anymore. I know I am an American, Mm -hmm. but to be American, if being American is being welcoming and evolving together rather than separately and being caring about other people and co-creating this next phase of America, I think I'm not seeing a lot of that lately. But it's something that I think we need to continue to practice ourselves if we want to see that change happen for the rest of the country. So Mm -hmm. not losing sight of that hope and like Jay was saying, to to stay hopeful and to keep pushing pushing change forward is what we need to do. Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swathers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swathers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swathers absorbs wetness better than a leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Yeah, we've had a pretty robust conversation exploring what it means to be American and um, our relationship with the American side of our cultural identity. Now let's talk about the blend of being Asian American. Um, Did you ladies always identify with your culture of being Asian American? Um, If not, was there were there turning points or moments for me, growing up, I feel like I was very fortunate to have been taken back to my parents' motherland, Taiwan, a lot. I think being exposed created this connection to my culture and an understanding of it. So I feel like I've always connected with my culture. Um, you know, due to that, I thought being Asian was super cool. 
You know, I was really into Asian music and 90s Asian American music. You know, shout out Kai and One Voice. And I found myself gravitating towards Asian interest orgs, you know, right away. From community college to college, I was like, I want to be part of the Asian American org. Um, But it wasn't until like college during my internship at a film festival where I was exposed to Asian American representation as a whole. And I felt this strong desire to, to want to do my part in it. So I think in general, like there was no a turning point for me in terms of like, have I always identified with my Asian American background? I feel like I kind of always had. But I think, again, like it wasn't until my film festival internship where I was like, I want to do my part in it, though. Like I want to be a part of this, this movement or this this culture even more so. So, um, yeah, I, I think my answer may be different than the both of you. Um, Helen, how about you? I've had like a mix. I've had a journey with my identity um, and it definitely came in waves. My first language I spoke at home was Hoi San Wa, which I don't know if y'all out there listening know what dialect that is, but it's like Cantonese with an accent is what I usually have to say. And um, I was surrounded by a very loving, large family, aunts, uncles, grandparents, all living in the same building. So my sense of being Asian and being proud was definitely on the higher end because that's all I knew, right? Mm. Like Chinese, Toisanese, Hoi San Ma was my first language. And then I think what happens over the years is that you go to school and especially in high school, you just start seeing the separation of friend groups based on color and activity. So you had like the jocks, the football players, you had the nerdy chess club, and then you had the Asian table, which we all know about and love <laughs> the Asian table. I was part of that. And I think what I just noticed from high school is that once you are part of a group, people outside of your group start treating you a little bit differently because once they saw that I was part of the Asian table, it's, it's almost like you're taken or you belong somewhere. And I and I noticed there was less effort from people to start interacting with me. So I think in high school, I just started becoming more aware of that. Mm. Um, and then come college, I might have told the story before in this podcast, but one of my best friends from high school, she ended up being my roommate and she's also Asian. And we had made this sort of pact that we said come student activities day which is when you sign up for all of the orgs on campus we were not going to sign up for any asian clubs because we wanted to be seen as individuals as a freshman and as individuals we had our own say of who we wanted to be in college and for a while we just hung out with our floor mates super diverse group of friends and it was it was really a good time and i made really good friends then but i think there was a part of me that was still lacking in feeling completely like myself in this new college campus situation. So then one day someone from the Chinese Students Association, CSA, walks up to me and was just like, hey, do you want to apply to be a fresh rep? And I was like, what is that? And where, which club are you from? And they're like, oh, we're from CSA. And I think they, they caught me at a time when I was just missing home a lot, even though home was only down the street, but I was missing the sense of home and community on the campus. So to that person, and I was just like, all right, I guess I will apply. And then I did. And and if I think about it, that moment really did change my life and turn my life sort of around into fully accepting my quote-unquote Asian-ness again because what happened is that come senior year, I became the co-president of the Chinese Students Association, loved everything about the org and the sense of community that it provided for other students on campus, including myself and my roommate. She became the vice president of Asian Caucus, which is another Asian org on campus. So I think the moral of this little story is that it is okay to have a journey with your identity. It's a very complicated and very fluid mm-hmm. thing. Um, and for me, you know, it's funny that starting off as a baby, loved my Asianness, come college, was curious and not so proud of it, and then becoming super proud of it afterwards. And then I think there was a period of time when I was just fully invested in working in the corporate world that I really didn't do or care much about, you know, being Asian. Um, and what I could do to help the community. I was part of the Pan-Asian Professional Network, but that was like the extent of it. Um, and then it's like coming full circle to ABG where we're like the co-presidents of our own club now again. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's it's been a journey with my identity. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Helen. I, I like the word journey when used to describe your relationship with your identity because I think I definitely had – that is – 
really perfectly captures, I think, my relationship with my identity as well. Um, Obviously different journey points, but I think the idea of it being that it will happen in different phases. Um, I'm in a certain phase now. I had certain phases before and I sure will have certain phases after. Um, But for anyone who listens to some of our other episodes, you know that uh, I grew up in Orange County, California, and um, a lot of the, there's a lot of different neighborhoods in Orange County. It's a pretty big sprawl, but the community that I grew up in was mostly uh, white American and um, you know I wasn't I was around other children of immigrants but not too many who were Chinese and not too consistently so growing up I mostly felt like an outsider very immediately and innately so I didn't really without even knowing that that was like wrong or different I guess Um, I just I guess my relationship with my culture when I was uh, younger was that I generally tried to not recognize it I think for a lot of my younger years Um, you know going to high school um, I I did then start to visit family who lived about an hour away um, in communities around uh, closer to LA where there were more prevalent Asian American communities so I was kind of introduced to the idea of an Asian American culture you know the ABG and ABB culture But when I would go home on the weekdays, Monday through Friday, that was not my world. Um, And I think there are two larger milestones when it comes to my relationship with my cultural identity. I would say one um, was going to college, which both of you ladies had mentioned. For me, my experience of going to college was very shifting because growing up with mostly uh, white people or other other children of immigrants, but not necessarily Chinese, um, I had my world turned upside down when I went to a UC school and for those who know about the UC system there's a pretty large Asian American population so suddenly I found myself um, living day in and day out with other people who were just like me of course different types of Asians but who understood what it was like to balance the duality of two cultures Um, so I think that was the first time where I started to really feel like I found a community of people but then like Helen once I went into the workforce I think I really kind of lost sight of that community and for some reason you know those years when you're trying to develop your your identity as a quote-unquote adult um, I focused so much on my career I didn't think about my culture at all and to this day I'm not really sure why I think it might have just been maybe a generation thing or maybe it's cultural or whatever it is but I put so much focus into trying to figure out who I was in terms of my profession and it wasn't until finding a social group here in LA with you ladies and with our friend group and then starting to build ABG as just a passion project as something on the side but to obviously see it grow now to this um, my journey with my identity has now you know become so essential and is now within and and like wrapped in my profession as well I guess in that in that respect like I definitely have felt like my relationship with my cultural identity has been a journey and I'm excited to see how it will evolve um, in the coming years because we all know that the last two years have been crazy um, with having what's been happening in the world but then also having the growth of ABG so I'm, I'm excited to see how it continues to morph wow thank you for walking us through your journey with your identity um, Jay you know I think it sounds like the all three of us you know as we've gotten older we definitely have strengthened and deepened this connection you know with our culture what are some things that you all do or you both do to feel more connected to your identity or your culture? I think for me, distance does make the heart grow fonder because I am for the most of the year away from my parents. They live in Boston. I'm in LA. And because I'm not hearing Hoi San Va spoken every single day, it makes me so sad. It's like even when my parents are here right now, I find myself struggling to say certain things that used to come much more naturally to me. I find myself just yearning more and more of my culture every day and I find now compared to when I was younger that I really do value our culture and all of our traditions so a few things that I do for the large Chinese holidays like Chinese New Year I will FaceTime my mom and shop for round fruits like pomelo and oranges and tangerines and I'll get the gold coins and red candies that I used to bring to school all the time to pass out to all my my school friends and I would pack hong baos which now I have to do to give to my family members and I will have Chinese New Year music blasting at home and refresh myself on the sayings that you have to say to your elders when you receive red envelopes from them Um, or even like my Chinese tea ceremony that was one thing that my mom was okay with us not doing for our quote-unquote wedding but 
I was the one that said that it was very important for me to do. And I'm so, so glad that we did do that because it's something that I can look back on now and see my grandma there and my mom there um, taking part of the ceremony that was tradition for them during their weddings as well. Um, at home, Philip and I, we cook Chinese food like three to four times a week. And we both always call up our moms to check to make sure that we're making the dishes right. But I think all of this, I've just found a more vested interest in practicing my culture on my own without having my parents do it for me. Because I think growing up, it was a lot of, it, it almost felt like nagging, right? Your parents would be like, you have to, I don't know, like, light this incense. It's like, <laughs> why am I lighting this incense? And you're kind of just mechanically doing things that your parents are telling you to do versus now I'm trying to understand the why behind it mm-hmm. and wanting to to hold these traditions and, and the cultural things for my for my son as well. And I think what I'm scared of is that as, you know, first, second generation Asian Americans, we are towing that line between either becoming more American or being more Asian, right? You're kind of towing that line of the hyphen of figuring out which which side you're going to fall into more of. So I could see myself leaning easily more into the American side. And, and for me, I really want to hold on mm-hmm. to the Asian side as well. Yeah, I definitely resonate with what you share about it feeling like it needs to be an active effort to maintain that Asian cultural side. And also a lot of memories when I was younger of feeling like it was nagging from my parents when they, whenever they wanted to incorporate cultural components, whether it was celebrations or certain values, it felt like a nuisance. But I definitely have that shift as well as as I've gotten older now, I actively seek it out and I will constantly, um, you know, I, I just make a, a more of an effort to talk with my parents and to ask them questions and to, to understand our family lineage. Um, and additionally, I do try to also foster a, a more close relationship with my family in my generation. So like my sister, my cousins, those of us who understand what it is to be a second generation person in our family that I have close access to. And then also all of you ladies, all of you, two of you, <laughs> and then also you ladies and our friend group. I think that idea of really um, deliberately finding community of people who understand what it is to balance both of these cultures is really, um, for me, has been the way that I found more effective, most effective to stay connected with my culture. How about you, Mel? I like you ladies. I think talking to your parents has been something I do more so now than than ever. I, I think I just want to I have a curiosity to understand, like, how do they grow up? Like, how, what was your childhood like? I think it's once you hear this personal connection, you realize how rich your culture plays into who you are as an individual and how it impacts your family. Like, I think about how, like, when you study history, like in high school, you feel this disconnect. You're like, why? Why does this matter? But when you learn more about your family history, you're like, oh, this directly matters to me. And I want to be able to pass down these stories to my to my kids. And so they could pass those stories along to their kids. The other thing I do to feel connected to my culture is I watch media or read books, you know, depicted or like written by people from my cultural background. Like I think a lot about this Taiwanese film called You Are the Apple of My Eye. And it's about like, you know, coming of age story about these teenagers there. And I think about my mom a lot because it's it's taken place in her her generation. And I read this book called Green Island by uh, by Shauna Ryan Yang. I hope I said her name right. And it talks about the history of Taiwan. So just finding books and watching shows that um, – are created by like Taiwanese American directors or things like that have really helped me. Mm-hmm. One of the prompts that Old Navy is putting out there this summer is one that touches upon their theme of radical inclusivity to celebrate the infinite intersectional ways we can be American and blank. Using the ampersand sign as the unifier and holding space for more truth, more connection, more community, more of what matters. So ladies, fill in a blank for me here. I'm American and I'm blank. And what does being Asian American mean to you? How do you define mm. it? For the first statement, I'm American and I am built from two worlds. Um, I had a couple of statements and I said, I'm a child of immigrants. I have an innate understanding of what it's like to feel like an outsider, a foreigner to most single nations. I have grit. I am flexible to changing contexts, settings, circumstances, and I have empathy and compassion around the sometimes isolating experiences of not belonging. Damn, put that on the billboard, <laughs> Old Navy. <laughs> I love that answer. 
How about you, Miss Mel? This question was hard for me to answer because I feel like I could answer with anything. I think what I'm going to say is I'm American and I'm the connector between the generations. Mm. It kind of connects to, you know, what does Asian American mean to you? I think a lot about how, like, I am the bridge between, like, my grandma's generation, my mom's generation, and to my future generation. And being Asian American, you do balance these two cultural identities. And it's kind of like what you mentioned earlier above, Helen's, like, you might go more American, you might go more Asian, but like how how can I as a connector, as a current lineage of my family, pass these things along to make sure our culture and our history and our family identity doesn't get lost? So I think about what that means to be Asian American. Mm. And how about you, Helen? I, I would say that for me to answer this question, I am an American and a proud child of immigrants, a mother, a wife, a friend, and someone with a story that it's worth telling. Mm. Mm. And for the second question of what does it mean to be Asian American to me, I think in this very moment and where I currently am at in life, it means looking at my child and already feeling sad that I'm not going to be able to teach him Hoisan Ba or Mandarin as well as my parents or my husband's parents could speak it. It means holding on for dear life to a culture and traditions that seem to be just fast fading because of how easy it is to adopt and lean into the American side of me. And it's feeling the weight of both, of wanting to present myself as American, especially in situations like professional organizations and corporate settings and spaces where I am the minority, but also wanting to preserve who I am and who my family is. And so it's, again, walking that line between Asian and American and and not learning how to balance between the two, which I think I've been doing most of my life, but learning how to show up as both in an unapologetic way. And I, I, I think it's an ever evolving part of our identity. But right now, to me, that's what it means to be Asian American. It's how to show up as both unapologetically today. Mm. Thank you, ladies, for sharing what it means to be Asian American to you. Thinking about the last few years and all that has happened, how do you feel like your sense of identity has changed? If it has at all. And if it has, why do you think it has? Mm, I feel similar to what I mentioned above and kind of what you said, Helen, as well. Like, I think I'm still trying to figure out what being American means to me again. It wasn't until this conversation I realized, like, again, like the model is like land of the free, you know, like land of opportunity. Like I forgot all about that because it's been so different the last few years I, I think I'm just trying to redevelop this relationship about what it means to be American again I will say even though I'm very proud of being Asian American it can feel very scary at times because I wonder if people actually see me as American when I walk on the streets with everything that's been going on the past few years like yes I could walk around and like yeah like I know I'm American but they, they see me as your Asian descent passing. Like, what is so you're just Asian? But I'm like, no, I'm Asian American, you know? But regardless of this, I think regardless of this feeling of questioning if I feel American, I do feel extremely proud to be Asian American. And that's something I will always hold true to. I'm very proud to be Asian American. I'm Taiwanese American. Yeah, that's something I know that I will continue to have as I figure out my relationship with being American. For me, if my sense of identity has changed, why do I think that is? Um, and if not, why not? I think these past few years has made a huge difference for me, having switched completely from a white collar corporate job to a job like ABG. I mean, that's like a 180 like whiplash turn right there. Okay. And ABG was built on the foundation of really caring about the Asian American community and specifically trying to raise up Asian boss girls and our ABBs as well. And I will say that over these past few years, having done ABG, I've never felt more connected to my culture and unapologetic as well. I also think that for anyone out there who is listening, who can't just start a business that focuses on better understanding their identity, ABG started just with conversations, conversations that became this sort of like circular thing. If you're proud of your culture and you share mutual pride of your culture with your friends, that group of friends can become a support network that you have outside of your own home. And these friends can either hold you accountable or help you to explore your own culture or identity or sense of self more than you could on your own. So yes, I will say that my sense of identity has changed a lot over these past few years because of these more intentional conversations that we have had with our friends and specifically with ABG. Yeah. How about for you, Jay? Yeah, you know, I think obviously the last few years for us as a community has been incredibly challenging. Um, I feel like with the rise in anti-Asian hate crimes, 
And the bigger thing I'm focused on is the um, effect of those, which was, it was, I think it prompted a lot of positive reactions from our community. I think people showed up and tried to connect with each other, to support each other, to push for change. And I think that seeing that and being around that has really fortified my, like, my pride um, and my sense of belonging. And so even though it's been extra hard to be Asian American the last couple of years, I, to what you ladies have said, have never felt more proud and more supported and and, and in community. Um, but I do think a lot about, you know, when we talk about balancing these worlds, the Asian and the American part, similar to Mel, I'm having a hard time understanding what it means to be American right now. And I think just as, as a whole, our country is really kind of little no one don't want to say lost but i think we're really we are lacking a unified meaning you know helen it's kind of like what you said about the there being such political divide and just such division in general um but in this time when you know america is kind of reconfiguring what it means to be american i do find myself feeling even closer to my asian and my chinese side and i think that's also because with the rise of the anti-asian hate crimes there's an extra reaction of people trying to to band together and to support each other so that has been a, you know an interesting dynamic for me the last couple of years well to wrap this episode up my last question for you both is what are you most proud of to be asian american I feel like we are living in some of the craziest times as Asians in America. And I think about this very often. I feel so lucky that we are at the forefront of all of this intense momentum that is happening. I mean, if you look at the timeline of American history, we as mostly first, second, third generation Asian Americans are still so early in our timeline of our identity in America that you can sort of see and almost feel the still small but growing strength of Asians in this country. We're like literally pioneers right now. <laughs> I think that's so freaking dope. I mean, if you just think about like seven years ago, right? Fresh Off the Boat had come out and there was so much controversy and backlash about the show, mainly from the Asian community because we had such little representation that whenever we did see someone that looked like us out there, we took it personally and we became overly precious with the storytelling, overly critical of it. Um, if it didn't reflect our own backstory. But now, within even the past two to three years, which is such a short period of time, it's like a toddler, there is so much more Asian and Asian American content out there. All of our Asian friends are like, we are finding work now. I'm like, yes, go get them. And, and even when it comes to politics, like there is so much more representation in politics. So much has been happening. The momentum is so strong and we are witnessing all of it and we are also a part of it which is so incredible um and also what am i proud of to be asian american the food hello our food is so vast and tasty thai green curry chicken salad lobster noodles mm. also the, i feel like the world finally discovered boba not too long ago and look how big of a hit it is for even non-asians i also love the richness of our history and how far back our history goes um, and also how diverse even we are amongst the Asian diaspora. And it's, I'm just listing out all of the things about why I love being Asian American, but speaking two languages and having a secret code, like it's so cool to be able to do that um, with your significant other, or your friends or your family members. And I think lastly, I love that we are finally starting to take up space and tell our stories and we're getting into positions of power to really affect change and normalize our place in this country so that for future generations they don't have to really toe that line between asian and american anymore like our generation still kind of feels the need to right they can show up as a whole being and be comfortable showing both skins it's so awesome that we are in this space right now and we are in the midst of the momentum that is happening Dang, that was a rally cry if I ever heard one. <laughs> I love being Asian American. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, everything that you expressed, Helen, I definitely am feeling that sense of connection, that sense of pride, and that sense of excitement. Um, I think for me, what I'm most proud of, understanding that, you know, our position puts us in that hyphenate where we come from two worlds. I think that particular role and experience is 
um, is something I'm proud of, and particularly in today's world where, yes, within the Asian American community, we are, you know, encountering a lot of challenges. But then, as um, as a nation, America is encountering a lot of challenges. And I just I just feel like so many different communities that we can consider ourselves a part of are going through a lot of change. And during times like this, I think that being able to relate and connect to each other is incredibly important. And I believe that being someone of two different worlds and kind of experiencing what I had shared with like that aspect of feeling like you don't necessarily belong all the time gives you a certain level of empathy and compassion to be able to relate to more Mm. people. So I think for me, I'm most proud of in this current state of the world to be in a position where I am better able to relate to more people. How about you, Mel? I'll be real. You both took all my answers. (laughs) I'm going to just focus on one thing that you guys mentioned. I think what I'm most proud of to be Asian American is the fact how rich our culture and our history is. When you think Asian America, there's a lot of different cultures that encompass this. There's Vietnamese American, there's Laos, there's Taiwanese American, there's Chinese American. There's so much. So for me, I'm just proud of how rich our history is, our culture is, and I'm excited to learn more about each and every one of them. And with that, this concludes this really great discussion about what it means to be Asian, American, Asian American. We hope this episode encouraged you all to think about, you know, what does being American look like for you? You know, what does being Asian American look like for you? And um, we want, we'd love to hear your answers in our most recent Instagram post. Please let us know your answers. And thank you again, Old Navy, for sponsoring today's episode. If you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and share this episode with your friends. You can also support us through monthly donations at anchor.fm slash asianbossgirl slash support, or get some merch at asianbossgirl.myshopify.com. If you resonated with today's episode, let us know in the comments of our IG post. And if you'd like to put faces to our names, you can find us on YouTube, where we share vlogs, an audience Q&A segment called Dairy ABG, and much more. Our handle on both platforms is at asianbossgirl. We do have a few shout outs for this episode to Vivian from Anonymous. Congratulations, Vivian, on being accepted into your dream public health program on a scholarship. So proud of you. To Vicky and Cody from Fremont from Lily, happy 10-year anniversary. As two of the most humble and quirkiest human beings exist, you both have so much bright things ahead of you, and I'm blessed to have you both in my life. Cheers to the rest of 2022 and to more Chump Crew memories. If you'd like to send a shout out to a friend, check out our link tree in our link in bio on our Instagram and click on shout outs. And last but not least, thank you to our super talented editor, Michelle, for working all her magic on our episodes, including this one. And with that, we'll catch you all in the next episode. Bye. Bye.